as a husband and wife go toward Jesus, they run toward Jesus, they live for Jesus, they get closer to Jesus, they also get closer to one another. You see that? So as you get closer to Jesus, you get closer to one another. But that's not just for marriage. What we're going to see today is it's for God's people. As we get closer to God, we get closer to each other. So maybe instead of a triangle, it's like a cone. Like, like as we all get closer to the Lord, we in turn get closer to one another. Here's the overarching point today. God unifies and matures His people by using His people. Didn't see that one coming, did you? God mature, unifies and matures His people by using His people. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We'll stop there and continue covering this passage next week, but may God bless the preaching and teaching and reading of His Word. First point today is this, the unified church, the unified church. We studied in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 a couple weeks ago before Easter. In that passage, we saw that Paul exhorted the Ephesian church to walk out the gospel, live out the doctrine that they were taught in chapters 1 through 3. And what will that look like? Well, it will look like a unified church. Ephesians 2 says that we have been reconciled with God vertically and that we are reconciled to, to other people horizontally. So Paul tells them to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Our text today shows that the practical unity is grounded in doctrinal unity. Practical unity is grounded in doctrinal unity. In verses 4 and 5, the word one, O-N-E, is used seven times. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Douglas Moo calls that the drumbeat of unity. So you got one, da, 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 da. Stephanie would appreciate that. There you go, that's for you. 
One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. The point of Paul's exhortation is that the body, the church, is unified and that unity is founded in the Godhead, in the Trinity. And notice the flow and the links to different parts of the Trinity. There is one body made up of Jews and Gentiles, formerly enemies, but because they are unified by the Spirit, the one Spirit, they are one body. There's one hope, one faith, and one baptism because there's one Lord. Our hope is in Jesus. Our faith is in Jesus. We are baptized into Jesus' death and resurrection. So one Spirit, one Lord. And there's one family because there's one Father who has adopted us. He is over all and through all and in all. So friends, unity in the Godhead, Godhead is what allows our unity in the church. Unity in the Godhead is what allows unity in the church. The, the unity doctrinally and practically is possible because of our unified and unifying God. In Christ, we have more in common with each other than we have different. We are sinners saved by grace. We are filled with the promised Holy Spirit. We have a common faith, a common hope, a common call to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We are baptized into Christ's death, raised in our union of the resurrected Savior. And we have God as our Father. He is not distant, but knows the hairs on our heads, some of them decreasing, like me and others. won't point you out. So He is not distant, but He is not domesticated. He is over all and through all and in all. The practical unity that Paul is calling the church to is enabled by the foundational unity of who God is and our faith in Him. But friends, we must remember this. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. We don't all act alike, dress alike, or talk alike. You look at the pictures in Revelation 5 and Revelation 7 around the throne of Jesus. There are different languages, tribes, tongues, peoples. They are as different as humans get, yet there's unified worship in Jesus. Our text says that in the midst of a unified people, there's a massive amount of diversity. John Stott says it this way, The unity of the church is due to God's charis. That's the word for grace. The unity of the church is due to God's grace. The diversity of the church is due to charismata, grace gifts. The unity, God's grace, that's how he unifies us in Christ. But there's diversity of gifts. God gives diverse gifts to his unified people. Second point, diverse gifts. Diverse gifts starting at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Our unified and unifying God gives a diversity of gifts to his people. It says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Or as 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Varied grace. God gives gifts, 
But it's going to vary according to the person because our God distributes them differently to different people. God does not give the same gift to each person. Again, quoting John Stott, he says, Although there is only one body, one faith, and one family, this unity is not to be misconstrued as a lifeless or colorless uniformity. We are not to imagine that every Christian is an exact replica of every other, as if we had all been mass-produced in some celestial factory. On the contrary, the unity of the church, far from being boring or monotonous, is exciting in its diversity. This is not just because of our different cultures, temperaments, and personalities, but because of the different gifts which Christ distributes for the enrichment of our common life. When Jesus Christ saves someone and gives them a new heart and washes them, as Ezekiel says, he also fills them or puts his spirit within them. And in having the spirit, you have gifts of the spirit. What are those gifts for? Well, 1 Corinthians 12 explicitly talks about this. Therefore, our common good, the good of the church, therefore, the building up of the body, therefore, the encouragement of others. And oh, friends, don't we experience this all the time here at Risen Hope? Whether it's the welcoming hospitality of Bill and Nancy Gunther, or a prophetic word from Stephanie Warren, or the gift of serving from Lauren Jeffries, or the merciful heart of Rachel Taylor, or the leadership of Elliot Shorey. God has poured out His gifts on this church family. God has given saints gifts for His glory and our good. Verse 8, Paul quotes Psalm 68, verse 18. It's an interesting quote because Paul actually changes a word. In Psalm 68, 18, it speaks of a conquering king coming back from war and, quote, receiving gifts from men like spoils of war. But Paul says in Ephesians 4, 8 that God gives gifts to men. What's the deal, Paul? Well, it seems that there's two possibilities that are closely linked. First is when a king wins a victory and receives spoil, he usually is at the same time receiving spoil and dis- distributing spoil to those who are his loyal subjects or to, you know, the commanding officers who did a good job. So there's receiving and giving at the same time. An illustration of this that could kind of be tied in is, is that the Levites, they were, God receives the Levitical priests to his service, but at the same time as God receives these Levitical priests to his service, he gives them to the people to serve them. Here's the point. The overarching point is that when Christ won the victory, when Jesus sat on the throne, he distributed a variety of gifts to his people. God won the victory and he distributes his gifts. Why? Why does God give his people gifts? For the unity and the maturity of the church. God unifies and matures his people by using his people. But before we get more into the maturity part, we've got to kind of get into that parenthetical statement in verse 9 and 10. It says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean 
but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, let's note that lots of people want to read this passage and focus on the Jesus descending into hell like the Apostles' Creed states and try to figure out what that means. Or maybe the lower parts of the earth simply means that Jesus came down to earth into the brokenness in the lowest places of humanity. Many will take 1 Peter 3.19 where it speaks of Jesus preaching to the, quote, spirits in prison, unquote, And that's often connected to this verse and make the argument that Jesus died on the cross, went to the tomb, went to hell before he rose again. I want to clarify here because at best, Scripture's unclear. At worst, the Apostles' Creed and other creeds make something look super clear that isn't clear. So I'm not 100% sure, though I'd be hesitant to preach that Christ descended into hell when the Bible doesn't explicitly say that. So here's, here's my point here. Here's a hermeneutical point, okay? Hermeneutics is how you interpret things. We interpret Scripture with Scripture. A good hermeneutical practice is to speak with certainty where the Bible speaks with certainty and clarity, and to speak with charity where there's not as much clarity. If we simply look at Ephesians 4, 8 through 10, and our impulse is to debate what he descended means, we've lost what Paul's making clear. What's the overall point of the passage? Here's the point. Jesus, the king, the ruler, ascended, and he's on his throne. He accomplished all that he needed to on the cross as he descended, taking the form of man, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And then it says he fills all things. Jesus filled all things, fully obeyed, fully drank the cup of God's wrath, fully died for our sins, fully uh, was resurrected, fully defeated death, fully crushed Satan, and fully wins the victory. And again, what does Jesus do in his ascending? Jesus said this to his disciples. It is to your advantage that I leave. If I'm with Jesus, I'm like, no, it's not. I really like you being here with me. Like you and me, we're like walking together. Like I can ask you questions. We can be around each other. Like how in the world is this to my advantage, Jesus? That would be my question. I'd be like Peter that just says things. Like ready, fire, aim. He says this in John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, if I ascend, I will send him to you. Do you see the link here? Jesus' ascension has everything to do with him sending the Spirit, the Helper, to give gifts and the unity and the maturity of the church. So friends, do you understand that part of Christ's kingly rule on the throne is sending gifts to you. Part of his rule and reign in sitting on the throne, praying for you right now, is for you to use the gifts he's given you for the edification, for the upbuilding, for the common good of the church. You have gifts that the Holy Spirit gives you for the church's unity, 
in the church's maturity. So do you use the gifts God has given you for the church's unity and the church's maturity? Do you ask God for more gifts for His glory for the church's unity and the church's maturity? Two questions. Friend, what gift or gifts has the Holy Spirit given you? If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, He saved you. You're walking in relationship with the Son of God. He's given you gifts. What gifts are those? If you're like, I don't really know, I'll just encourage you, ask those who know you. Ask those who are around you, maybe in your community group, maybe in your family, maybe a roommate, somebody who's godly, who's walking with Jesus and is around you. Ask them, what gifts do you see that the Holy Spirit has put in my life? Second question, are you stewarding the gifts that you've been given? If you have the gift of prophecy, are you earnestly desiring to use it? If you have the gift of hospitality, are you using it? If you have the gifts of healing, are you regularly praying over people? Friends, if you are in a leadership position of any sort, whether it's an employer or a mom or a dad or a husband or a ministry leader, here's one of the things we've got to have as a category on our minds. Are we stewarding the gifts of those around us? Guys, husbands. This is a regular practice that a husband has to be thinking, how am I making it possible for my wife to excel in using the gifts that God has given her? Mom, dad, how are we using and stewarding our children who know Jesus, who are saved, and putting them in a position to to fan the flame of the gifts God's given them? We've got to think through this. Let's remember the purpose of these gifts is for our unity and our maturity. And Paul makes that explicit in verse 11 and 12. Third point is this, mature church. Mature church. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Notice that he gave. He gave. Put the emphasis on the he gave. This group of leaders did not give something to themselves, nor are they accredited with particular wisdom or knowledge or acumen. He gives gifts. God gives the gifts, and He gives gifts to men, but it can also be translated He gives gifts of men. Like, these are people God gives. In Risen Hope, don't we feel this? I was talking to Nick Richardson earlier this week about just what a gift it's been to me personally for Josh and Christopher and Nathan to be elders. They have helped me grow. They've shepherded my heart and my family as they shepherd this flock. Friends, that is a gift to us from the Lord. Now, verse 11, many have called this the fivefold ministry of the church. The original language may be putting pastor and teacher together. Maybe it's a fourfold, maybe it's a fivefold. Anyway, the idea here is that God chooses to mature His people through His people. God chooses to mature His people by using people. He uses apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers to equip. Now, what do we do with those different categories? We know in Ephesians 2.20, so you want to take something that's quoted in the same letter you want to make sure you hit that. So Ephesians 2.20 also puts apostles and prophets together. It says this, that, they're, that the, the, the church, the household of, of God, the family of God, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. 
So these two categories were definitely there in the early church. The apostles wrote Scripture. They saw Jesus. They were foundational. The prophets may mean the Old Testament prophets, or it may be the ongoing prophetic ministry that was going on. So what we do know for these first two gifts is they were going on then. What we try to figure out sometimes, are they going on now? Well, we know in 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about the gift of prophecy quite a bit. So that one's a little easier to understand. Like, okay, there's going on, this is going on prophecy in the sense of modern day. It's not doesn't trump Scripture, but it's under and submissive to Scripture, and is to be judged, according to 1 Corinthians. But what about apostolic ministry? We believe that God still gives an apostolic type of gifting. This is the gift of leaders who see the big picture of gospel work, are equipping. The uh, uh, apostolic could, could, uh, means sending. It's this, this sending capacity, this pioneering work, this church planting mission expansion but we would be really hesitant to call anybody an apostle, like capital A apostle, because no one's writing Scripture around here, and you haven't seen Jesus, even if you've claimed it. But we also don't want to quickly dismiss that God wants to mature His people by some having an apostolic gifting to serve God's church. So when I think about uh, the guy who leads the Charleston Baptist Association, Craig Tuck, I often think about apostolic gifting. There's a guy who has apostolic gifting. He, he planted one church. He merged in another church. He helped us with our merger. He kind of does this little thing of the different churches in our area, helping behind the scenes, and he's kind of doing this thing. I call him the godfather. So he's just kind of like boop, 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 boop. And he's not trying to get credit for any of it. He's just serving the Lord for God's glory. So apostolic gifting and prophetic gifting are gifts to unify and mature the church. Then we have the evangelists and pastor teachers. Evangelists are those gifted to share the good news. They are gifted to speak the gospel, and there's fruitfulness in the speaking of the gospel. Now, this doesn't let us off the hook, give us a pass, because we're all called to, to bear witness of Jesus Christ. But it does help us to understand that there are those who are super gifted, in this area, and we want to equip and deploy evangelists and let them share the gospel and let them teach and train us. Let me give you an example. Perry Wong. If you've been around Perry, the 10 months he's been living here, you've seen an evangelist. I jokingly tell people that Perry shares the gospel with walls. Like, you're around Perry, he's sharing the gospel with somebody. Someone's on the playground, I just shared the gospel with them. He takes an Uber, shares the gospel with them. He, I would bet, has shared the gospel with over 50 people in the 10 months he's lived here. He just is a gospel-sharing machine. He's an evangelist. God has gifted him for that. He lives and breathes this gift. He's an evangelist. You or I may not be, but we are all called to to bear witness about what we've seen. We're all called to be equipped to give an account for the work of God in us. But let us be also encouraged that God doesn't just stop giving gifts. So let's ask to be evangelists, and let's, let's see if God wants to stir more evangelists in our midst. That's one of the things we prayed for as an eldership, talked about as an eldership. Lord, give us more evangelists. And friends, I would just encourage you, 
pray, Lord, do you want me to be an evangelist? Give me fruitfulness in speaking your word to others and calling people to an account. Pray for that. Then there are the pastor teachers. We probably have this category in our head most. The New Testament letters talk about this church office the most. And you see pastors. I'm up here every week or one of the other guys is. So these are men who are shepherding pastoring, teaching, gifted, called, and qualified to lead the church. These are men that preach and teach God's Word to God's people, and there are specific character qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. It's honestly really weird to me. I'm going to ask Jesus and Paul someday, like, why aren't there these, these lists for evangelists or these others? But they are for, for elders and they are for deacons. Those are very clear offices of the local church. But we must note that these gifted men or gifts of men are not professional Christians. We, the church, don't just sit back and watch ministry take place by the professionals. That's not what verses 11 and 12 say. And friends, I think if the American church were to get a hold of really understanding Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it would revolutionize our thinking. Look what it says. He, God, gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The gifted leaders are called to equip. They're called to teach and train and model God's grace in the gospel call to the saints. So here's the question. Who is to do the work of ministry? Who is to do the work of ministry? Growing up, I would have said that guy on the stage, the people paid by the church. Like that's who's called to do the work of ministry. What this text says is that the saints are called to do the work of ministry. The saints do the work of the ministry. The saints own the loving and caring of other saints. The saints own the lostness of their communities. The saints are to use their gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. And doesn't it make sense if each saint has a different gift for the upbuilding of the church that a bunch of saints doing a bunch of work of the ministry will mature and unify the church? Friends, do you own the responsibility to build up the body of Christ? Do you own that? Every saint is called to be equipped, and every saint is called to the work of ministry. It's kind of like the the difference between renting a house and owning a house. If you rent a house, the air conditioner breaks, that's fine. We'll just call people to fix it. If there's a screen that tears, that's fine. We'll just call somebody to fix it. The flooring's messed up, that's fine. We'll just call somebody to fix it. But if you're the owner and the air conditioning messes up or there's a tear in the screen or the floor messes up and is out of whack, it's on you. You take the ownership. Friends, this passage is saying that the unity and the maturity of the church is on you and me. We take the ownership of this. And for how long? Look at verse 13. 
until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the fivefold ministers equip the saints. The saints build up the body using their gifts, and we all grow in unity and maturity. Unity of faith, maturity of manhood, stature of the fullness of Christ. God is working to unify and mature his body. And and Paul seems really encouraged that this is going to happen. He's not like sitting back pessimistic like we do about churches sometimes, like this is never going to happen. These guys are losers. They don't get it. Their theology is messed up. No, he's like, this is going to happen. We all attain. How? We attain it because we have been united to Christ, and being united to Christ, we're united to one another. As we grow toward God, we grow toward one another. We are part of the vine abiding in Christ, so we are in the nutrient growth that happens for those in Christ Jesus. God grows us. He works in us. And he works in our brothers and sisters around us. But notice that the stakes are high. The stakes are high. The need for a mature and maturing church is massive. Look at verse 14. This will be our last verse today. Verse 14 says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Years ago, I saw the movie The Perfect Storm. It's about a fishing boat that encounters a hurricane. Here's the picture of the advertisement. Can you put that up? Doesn't look good. I remember seeing that picture when it was advertised and being like, well, I know how that movie's going to end. You know, you're like, there's not a lot of complication there. Friends, verse 14 says, well, well, I know how that's going to end. If we're not mature and maturing, if we're not unified as a church, it's a boat wreck. It's drowning. It's serious. The stakes are high. And friends, we see this all the time. We see not always maturity. We see immaturity in church. We see spiritual, not adulthood, but infancy. Kent Hughes says that spiritual infants are fickle, gullible, and unstable. Friends, as you look across the landscape of the American church, you see a lot of that. Tossed to and fro by the, by the latest political controversy. Tossed to and fro by the latest doctrinal controversy. Tossed to and fro by the latest social issue, issue or social media issue. But friends, the church needs the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It needs to be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. The church needs to be maturing. Now Christopher is going to hit a lot of that next week. But what I want us to understand today is that the stakes are high. Maturity is not a nice little add-on to the Christian life. Maturity is essential. And let's just note, we all start off as spiritual infants. So let's not be like, well, I can't believe those people over there. Like, you were one of those people, and I was too. We all start off as spiritual infants. The question is, Will we stay there? Or will we walk forward to unity and maturity, doctrinally knowing the one faith, one Lord, one hope, being deeply rooted in God's word? Will we be part of the family of God that's growing and unifying together, being equipped and and doing the work of ministry together? 
Or, or is immaturity the norm? I think growing up, the church I was at and looking out, and I mean, I've told you guys this, I despised pastors. I despised the church growing up. I wasn't a Christian. But immaturity was the norm. It was the, the landscape. Is that the norm for your family? Is that the norm for you? Is that the norm as you kind of look out at other people? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm more mature than that person, but less mature than that person. Sinclair Ferguson warns us. He says, we contemporary Christians too often assume our pattern of church life is normal only because we have never experienced anything else. Perhaps we are like an island of one-eyed people who assume their perception of things is normal until a two-eyed person is shipwrecked among them. Friends, Paul has two eyes here. Here's the, the normal Christian life. God unifying and maturing his church by using his people. God unifying and maturing his church by using his people. And so, friends, what we want to do in our growing and in our maturing is to consider how we do this today and how we do this every day. So if Linnea will come up, we're going to have a time of prayer as we close. And there are three different categories. And so here's what I'm asking. Some of you will identify with one of these categories and want prayer from other people. Others of you are gifted to pray for those people in specific ways. So you may be praying for someone or you may be being prayed for. Either way, it is part of the maturing process to raise your hand. It's part of the maturing process to pray for other people who have their hands raised. It's part of the growing and the love and care and unity and maturity that God calls us to. So here's three different categories. Those who have not been using the gifts that you know God has given you. If that's you, we want to pray for you. Those who have not been using the gifts. You're, you're aware of it. Maybe you used it before and you're like, I kind of know it's there in the back of my head or years ago. We want to pray for you. Pray that you wouldn't just rent that gift, rent the unity and maturity, but own it. Second, those who feel like they are to ask God for more gifts. Maybe when I talked about that a little while ago, you're like, I think there's more that God has and wants to use me. Maybe God's calling you to some type of apostolic ministry or prophetic ministry or evangelistic ministry or some of our young men to be pastors and teachers. Maybe God's putting that on your heart. We'd love to pray for you. Or maybe those who look at their life and they just, they look and they're like, I'm still a spiritual infant. Like if I look back a year, two years, three years, I'm at the same spot spiritually. There hasn't been this trajectory of growth. I'm being tossed to and fro by the latest Instagram post, by the latest news article. I'm just tossed. I don't have the stability, lacking unity and lacking maturity. So let's stand together now and we're going to, talk through these three categories. Those who have not been using gifts that you know God's calling you to use. Those who feel like they are to ask God for more gifts. And those who just feel like you're still a spiritual infant and you need God to help grow you. 
So if that fits you, any of those three, I just want you to lift your hand up right now and we're going to seek to pray for you. Lift it high. Okay, you guys keep your hands up. The rest of you who don't have your hand up, would you uh, gather around the people who have their hands up? There's several. You can look around and walk toward them, please. Keep those hands up for me, for your church family to walk around. Guests, I know it's probably uncomfortable for you. We do this a lot. We love to pray for one another. And those who have their hands up, if you feel comfortable, can you share with that group around you just briefly um, what, what the reason is why you lifted your hand so they know how to pray for you right now? And then, friends, let's, let's ask God to give us words of knowledge, prophetic words, the scriptures for these people to pray over them. So go ahead and share, folks, and then we'll pray over you.
Father, we thank you for these brothers and sisters in Christ. God, we thank you for the way you are working. God, we thank you that you're a good father. Lord, that when we ask for bread, you don't give us a stone. God, when we ask for fish, you don't give us a snake. Lord, you give good gifts, and you give more of your Holy Spirit gifts to your children. So, Lord, we pray you would pour out, manifest your gifts to us, Lord. Lord, that we would have more, not for our own sake, but for your glory, for the encouragement and edification of the body of Christ. Lord, that we would see our brothers and sisters in Christ with your eyes to minister to one another, to love one another, to encourage one another. God, by the varied grace that you give, that we would use those gifts for your glory. As we were praying, I felt like the Lord wants to encourage somebody. And when we read about the gifts, there's... Um, we don't think that it's like Paul's naming all of them and there's no more. Like he's just listing a bunch and they're very depending on the list. But I think felt like the Lord put on my heart that, that the Lord wants to give somebody the gift of listening, which I've never thought about that in my life. I could use that probably. Um, but I felt like the Lord wants to give somebody the gift of listening. So I'm just going to pray that. If that's you, we can talk after this. But Lord, I pray that you would grant the gift of listening, the merciful heart of the, of the Father, the merciful heart of the Father as He listens to the Son day and night, the prayers of the saints day and night. Lord, that you would give the gift of listening, mercy and compassion and faith. God, that you would grant us to walk in your way for your kingdom and your glory and your honor. Lord, unify us. Lord, expose where we're not unified and let us be repentant and soft-hearted to quickly repent. And Lord, mature us. Mature us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Uh, Hope Kids has a workshop right now. Um, Hope Kids workers, there is food here right now. So the, your, the Hope Kids leadership needs you over there right now. And uh, watching kids, uh, those watching kids may eat now. Parents, please set up your kids eating on the playground right now, and we'll be heading that direction. Don't forget the church picnic next week, and continue praying over folks if you're not done yet.